Welcome to the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. In this week's lesson from the book of 1 Samuel, Brian Owens reminds us that we cannot save ourselves, but only the Savior of God's choosing can. So, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 11, and join us as we continue to see what happens when the king that we think we want is not God. We're going to be reading a story about men up in the city of Jabesh Gilead, and they're going to come under attack from the people of Ammon. The Ammonites are descendants of Lot. Recall the story back in Genesis when Lot's daughters got him drunk, and uh, after Sodom and Gomorrah happened, they think that perhaps there's no man around who can uh, give them children, and so they <laughs> devise a plan to have their father give them children. And so uh, the two children are Moab and Ammon. And so these Ammonites are going to attack Jabesh Gilead. They're led by a man named Nahash. So the men of Jabesh Gilead are going to send for help. And so they go way down here and send messengers to Gibeah, and they find Saul and tell him what's going on. Saul then rallies the troops over in a city called Bezek, and 330,000 men come deliver the men of Jabesh-Gilead before we end up back down at Gilgal for a celebration of the victory and a renewal of the kingdom. So a lot of stuff going on up and down and sideways and every which way on the map today. To get some context to these events, we need a little bit of a, a running start to uh, the chapter. And so you'll recall last week, Hunter taught chapter 10 where Saul was anointed as king, but he was not universally supported. Uh, At the end of chapter 10 and verse 26, it says, Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him, and they brought him no present, but he held his peace. It's not unusual for a new leader to be doubted and opposed. This happens throughout the Bible, and we see it today within our own politics every four years. But notice specifically what these men express doubt about concerning Saul, his ability to save them. So straight away in chapter 11, God is going to bring about just such a need to put that to the test. And so this test is going to validate both God's anointing of Saul and Saul's ability to lead. Pastor Tony Clark down in uh, Calvary Chapel, Newport News, has a saying that I love. He says, new levels bring new devils. And I think that that's what we're going to read about this morning for Saul. If you or someone that you know is entering a new season with new responsibility and new challenges, I would, I would encourage you, expect right out of the gate, there may be a test uh, of the kind that we'll read this morning, and that test may be the very thing God uses to establish you in that role. So embrace it. And so uh, rising to the occasion in this chapter, uh, we'll read about Saul. And so with all that as context, let's take a look at our chapter outline for chapter 11. So the chapter is going to break down into three sections. In verses 1 to 3, we're going to read about the test. In verses 4 to 11, we'll read about the triumph, and then we'll wrap up in 12 to 15, looking at time of renewal. 
All right, so let's jump into this first section dealing with the test in verses 1 to 3. Then Nahash, the Ammonite, went up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. But Nahash, the Ammonite, said to them, On this condition I will make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes, and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days' respite, that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel, then, if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves to you. Now, some Bible texts can be more challenging to surface application from than others, uh, but it seems like there are some texts that the Holy Spirit just puts giant clues right in the text to help us surface the application. And I think that this passage has one such clue for us, and it's found in the name of this man attacking Jabesh Gilead. Uh, take a look here. Nahash literally means serpent. Now, raise your hand if you know Satan is still attacking God's people today. <laughs> the serpent is on the move. <clears throat> and so it's been said, and I'm sure many of you have heard it over and over, that for every New Testament principle, there is an Old Testament picture. And the New Testament principle pictured here by Nahash, I believe, is found in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. We read, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery." We are not ignorant of Satan's devices, and one of them is the fear of death. He does this all over the world in our culture. His aim is to steal, kill, and destroy. His method of conquering is to threaten us with fear. Fear of losing our reputation, our friendships, fear of losing our jobs, maybe fear of being canceled, fear of missing out on pleasure if we don't give in to temptation. And yes, even fear of losing our lives. But Satan's threats always come with an out, a compromise that you can save yourself if you'll just give in to. Satan's threats, you, some of these might sound familiar, these outs that he's provided throughout history. Uh, if you will but stay quiet, I'll spare you. If you'll recant your faith in Jesus... This will stop. Curse God and die, and your suffering will end. Job's wife, right? Bow down and worship the statue, and I won't throw you into the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Bow down and worship me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. That's what he told Jesus, right? But as a good American, celebrating my birthday on the 4th of July every year, I resonate with Ben Franklin, where he says, he that would trade essential liberty for a little temporary safety deserves neither liberty nor safety. And I'm telling you guys, and you know very well, that negotiating with the serpent through compromise will never end well. Agreeing to serve him will always come with injury 
and great loss that will exceed what we thought we were bargaining for. In the case of our text this morning, that proposal included the gouging out of their right eyes in slavery. It's no surprise, the men of Jabesh Gilead didn't much like Nahash's offer, and so they asked him to hold off for a week so that they can go look for someone to save them. Now, perhaps out of hubris, Nahash agrees. Much like we'll read about Goliath in the new year, he uh, challenged the Israelites and he towered over them until a worthy challenger presented himself and enjoyed every second, I'm sure, as they were shaking in their boots. Uh, But perhaps Nahash is also being strategic here. Maybe he's thinking, if I wait seven days with no more supplies coming in and out of this little town, they'll be weaker and it'll be even easier to conquer them a week from today. So sure, take your seven days and see if there's anyone out there, probably thinking it's unlikely someone will cross the Jordan and come help them. But this is the test. And this is the test I think that many of us face in our lives is when Satan brings a threat of some kind into our life and just gives us that promise that if we'll just cave in and bow to him, everything will be okay. And so for the people of Jabesh Gilead, this test would be a test of their faith. For Saul, it's going to be a test of his calling. And for God, it's going to ultimately prove his faithfulness. But the encouraging thing is that the people of Jabesh Gilead eventually get it right. They call for help because they need a savior. So let's take a look at the triumph in our second section this morning. Uh, Pick it up in verse 4. Now, when the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. Now, behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen, and Saul said, What's wrong with the people that they are weeping? And so they told him the news of the men of Jabesh, and the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers, saying, Whoever does not come after Saul and Samuel, so it shall be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. And when he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus Shall you say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, tomorrow, we will give ourselves up to you and you may do whatever seems good to you. And the next day, Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Now, news of Nahash's threats make it to the people of Gibeah and Saul. And the responses were twofold. First, they weep. Second, anger. These two reactions are natural responses to such news. Think of a time when you have heard about someone under attack from the devil and how it broke your heart. Uh, maybe even stirred up some righteous anger inside of you. Not only are these reactions to such news 
right to feel, according to our text, they may even be of the Lord. Look again at verse 6. It says, The Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. And we don't normally think of anger as a fruit of the Spirit, because we've been reading in Galatians 5 all these years that uh, it's love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control, and all of these things are right and true. However, righteous anger is also of God at times, and, and weeping. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He was angry at the abuse of his father's house. He hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He rebuked the Pharisees sternly, and I have to believe that he's greatly angered at the devil and his, and his heart broken for people lost under his sway. Righteous anger is needed sometimes to stir God's people to action. But such anger must be righteous. We can't just go out because Brian said this morning, anger's of God. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. And just, you know, lash out at people. That's not what I'm saying. But righteous anger over wickedness is right to feel at times. Uh, and so I believe of the Lord, and uh, this is the second time, look again at verse 6, when we talk about the Spirit of God rushing upon Saul. It's the second time in two chapters that we read that uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. The same language was used last week when Hunter was teaching us in chapter 10, verse 10, that the Spirit of God moved upon Saul to enable him to prophesy. And now it's moving upon him, enabling him to uh, deliver the children of Israel. The New Testament describes three relationships that people have with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and they're on the screen here. First is a Greek preposition, para. It just means alongside or with you. This is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives to protect, guide, convict us of our need for Jesus, to woo us to him. Um, the second relationship is the word en. En just means in. This is a relationship special to believers, we are the only ones to enjoy uh, such a privileged relationship with the Holy Spirit where he indwells us. This is the work of the Holy Spirit to sanctify and conform and commune with us, to uh, enable us to pray and have fellowship with the Father. Uh, Saul did not enjoy this relationship. Old, Old Testament believers didn't have that privilege. We have that unique privilege but what I believe is happening with Saul here is this third relationship. It's the word api, and it just means upon. The Holy Spirit coming upon an individual to empower them, to energize them, and to enable them to do work for God, ministry. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when speaking about spiritual gifts. He says this, All these, speaking of the spiritual gifts manifesting in the church, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So separate from these other two relationships of the Holy Spirit coming alongside an individual or indwelling a believer, there is this relationship that he has as he sovereignly wills. He sees a situation and he wants to empower an individual to take action. He does that as he sovereignly wills. And so here we see with Saul, he is empowered to save uh, the men of Jabesh Gilead. So the Holy Spirit rushed upon him to prophesy, and now um, he's, he's going to operate in a salvific way through Saul, uh, picturesque uh, salva salvation. 
And it's the same thing that I think is a picture of what we do today. On Pentecost, the same language is used. It says that the Holy Spirit rushed into that upper room where the believers were gathered praying, waiting for uh, what Jesus told them to go wait for. Now, in John chapter 20, they had already received the Spirit, but they were told by Jesus to go to Jerusalem and wait until they were endued with power from on high. Now, if they had just rushed out and tried to go fulfill the Great Commission in their own energy, it probably would have ended very poorly. Today, we're no longer waiting for the Holy Spirit. We, who are believers, have that indwelling relationship with Him. But now we, we are instructed to wait on the Holy Spirit. We pray first. We seek Him first. We don't head out in our own energy to go try to save the world and fulfill the Great Commission. We are endowed with power. And without that, everything would end very poorly. Now, if you go to the chapel, oftentimes we reference the, the verse up on the stained glass, right? Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And apart from him, we can do nothing. And so it is very critical that we wait upon the, the Lord to give us his direction and his will and that any kind of uh, righteous anger we're moved to act upon, we make sure that it's of him and that we do it like him. Uh, or if there's some other work that's not connected to that kind of emotion, we still need to wait upon his empowering. And so continuing on in our passage, Saul rallies the men of Israel with a stern warning for anyone who failed to participate in this rescue mission. He sends up uh, cut pieces of oxen around the territory of Israel. And he says he'll do the same thing to the oxen of anyone who attempts to dodge his draft. Now, all numbered, he's able to rally 330,000 men to, uh, to go fight Nahash. Now, what motivated these men to follow Saul into battle? Verse 7 says it was the dread of the Lord, or fear, if you have a New King James or another translation. Choose your fear. You know, the first part of our text, <laughs> there's a very different kind of fear. Right? Satan threatening to take their lives. The serpent uh, man, Nahash, saying he's going to kill them if they don't bow down. And then there's this other fear. And this is Saul as a leader basically telling the men, you need to get up on your horse and come with us, or we're going to cut your donkeys up. <laughs> and uh, the donkey is the tractor of the day. It's pretty important to them. <laughs> so uh, this kind of fear, um, I have a friend, James, he says, uh, there, there's, there's a fear of man, and then there's the fear of the Lord. If you fear man, you will not walk in the fear of the Lord. But if you fear the Lord, you will fear no man. But we have to choose our fear. And I think in this text, we had a clear picture that uh, Saul's leadership spurred the men to choose the right kind of fear and say, we need to go serve the Lord and help our brothers out. Now, having readied themselves for battle... They tell the messengers to take good news back to the men of Jabesh Gilead. And they say, tomorrow, before the sun is hot, you will have salvation. And notice this beautiful response of the men of Jabesh. They receive the good news, and by faith, they respond to it. It says uh, that they go back out and they tell Nahash, tomorrow, you can do your worst. We'll surrender. Now, I have a question for you guys. When did they act on the good news of their coming salvation? 
before they were saved. They heard this great news from the messengers, and they go and they say, "This is awesome. Saul's going to rally the troops. We're going to we're going to be saved." And they, in advance, tell the enemy, "Do your worst. We're going to be saved tomorrow." This reminds me of what Paul says about the Thessalonians. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 that the believers there had turned from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for his son Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then in chapter 2, he says this. He says, we also thank God constantly for this that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. So don't take my word for it, guys. Take the word of God for it, whatever situation you're in. I think there's a model here in the men of Jabesh. We receive the word of God, whether it's at Friday morning, men's breakfast, Sunday at church, in your daily devotions, whatever it may be. And if we believe what we read in the word of God, we can have rest because of the word of God in the midst of whatever trial or test or attack from the enemy. Maybe uh, you have a provision need in your life. Well, the word of the Lord for you is, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And you can believe that before the provision comes and have rest. Maybe you have some other trial or test coming through, and maybe a verse like Romans 8, 28 would be the good news from the messenger for you today, which is, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Like these men, I'm encouraged to just embrace the good news and believe the good news before I see God move, and that will allow me to rest right now. So um, let's take a look at our final section this morning dealing with this time of renewal. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day. For today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. And so all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. And wait a second. Didn't Hunter just tell us last week that the kingdom was established? <laughs> and now Saul, or Samuel is saying we need to go renew it? It hasn't even been a chapter, and they have to go renew the kingdom. I don't know about you guys. I take great comfort in this because I, too, have failed right out of the gate before. Uh, as a new believer, commit my life to Jesus and the next day fall. (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, we have a similar situation here. And uh, unfortunately, I think that we often hesitate to renew the kingdom, to renew the kingship of Jesus in our lives for fear of retribution. Perhaps we fear that men like the ones we read about in verse 12 other more committed and faithful believers who've never doubted the king, that they will be critical of our repentance. And so we don't come, and we don't renew our commitment to Jesus. Sometimes we hear 
response is like the older brother of the prodigal son. Remember when he came home and he wasn't very happy because he had been there the whole time, faithful, the good son. But the father says, today, we've, you know, my son was dead and now he's back. We have to, we have to rejoice. He's, it's, it's a time to be happy for our brothers when they come back. Uh, and so I just want to encourage you that no matter where you've been in your walk with Jesus today, if you feel a need to renew his kingship in your heart, do not fear retribution. Jesus is greater than Saul, amen? amen. And Saul's response was, no one's going to die here today because God has accomplished salvation for Israel. We have a time to celebrate. We don't have a time to go kill the people who doubted Saul. We have to welcome them in and strengthen the kingdom and fortify um, God's work. So <clears throat> our theme today, I think, is pretty clear. It's tied through the entire chapter. We read in 1027, the men asked this question, how can this man save us? You know, people asked about Jesus, a similar type of thing. When he was on the cross, they said he saved others. Let him save himself if he's really the son of God. He was doubted. And then in verse 3, once they fall under attack and they need a savior, they ask this question, is there anyone to save us? And they call for help. And today, people are in the same situation, lost, and they're out, you're going to encounter them at work and your family over the holidays, and they're asking that question in their own hearts. Is there anyone who can save me? Well, the good news is, we have an answer. In verse 9, we read that Saul gave a promise through the messengers. He said, tomorrow you will have salvation. But in Jesus, we can say, today, not tomorrow, is the day of salvation. If you will not harden your hearts, believe, today you can have salvation. And then we read in verse 13, after it's accomplished, they don't... Uh, carry out retribution because today the Lord had work salvation. We can say the same thing today. You can rest in the finished work of the cross. The big idea today is we cannot save ourselves, but there is a savior of God's choosing who can. Thanks for joining us today for our study of 1 Samuel. For more information on the Friday Men's Breakfast, please visit wcchapel.org slash mensbreakfast. Until next week, our prayer for you is that the king you desire first and foremost is not a mere earthly ruler, but Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of both heaven and earth. God bless.